Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom here in Columbus, back in the 11 Warriors bunker for the first time in a few months. And if we're there, that typically means that we just came from an Ohio State football media availability, which we did because Tuesday was the first day of spring practice. We're recording just a few hours after talking to uh, Ryan Day, Jim Knowles, and Kevin Wilson for the first time this spring, and an informative morning for sure talking to those guys. Not sure it was the most informative three periods of practice we've ever seen. We were able to watch the start of practice, but were kicked out before they really did anything that would have given us uh, a great look at the new defense or anything like that. So if you were hoping uh, for a, a detailed breakdown of Ohio State's defensive scheme this season, I'm not sure we're going to be able to deliver that to you yet. But uh, a lot of interesting nuggets that we learned on Tuesday. And Griffin, now that you've had a few hours to digest all of that, what was maybe the one thing that stood out to you the most today? Well, Dan, seeing by the, the reaction I got on social media, how about a healthy Cam Babb? Obviously, veteran wide receiver, captain for Ohio State. Uh, the coaches rave about the guy in terms of his perseverance, and that's because he's missed, what, three of the last four seasons for Ohio State with all these ACL tears. He even had one in high school as well. He's had a lot of injuries, but, I mean, he, he looked pretty good running out there, running around out there and some looks like a guy that could maybe make some plays this year, Dan. I mean, that's what Ryan Day said on Tuesday. So that'll be an interesting storyline to watch and hopefully he can stay healthy for the Buckeyes. Yeah, I mean, it's not our job to root for specific players, but man, like you want to see that guy stay healthy finally. Like he, he has gone through so much in his career, uh, tearing his ACL three different times. Like you just want to see that guy stay healthy. I have no idea what to expect from him as a player at this point, just because he's missed so much time. But certainly you'd like to see that guy stay healthy. You'd like to see him be able to be on the field this year. And the one thing that's been very clear about Cam Babb was clear again today is they love him within that program. He's a guy that was a captain last year, even though he was out for the year. You could tell that he's somebody that has everyone's respect within that building. And to know what to expect from him after so many injuries, I think is impossible. But it is clear that he is somebody that they think really highly of within that building. Yeah, elsewhere on the offense as well, we were trying to get a good look at the offensive line, of course, with a couple of really key guys for Ohio State going to the next level after last season. They were kind of tucked away in the corner with some of the recruits and whatnot kind of blocking things off, but I think we actually ended up getting a pretty decent idea of you know what that first team might look like, and especially considering two of the guys that we heard are going to be unavailable all spring for Ohio State. I feel pretty confident right now, even after just one day of practice, that barring injuries or somebody else really making a big jump, that I think the starting offensive line for this team right now is going to be Paris Johnson at left tackle, Matt Jones at left guard, Luke Whipler at center, Donovan Jackson at right guard, Dewan Jackson at right tackle. That's what I would have said a day ago, and it's what I'm saying now, especially after learning that Harry Miller and Josh Fryer are both going to be unavailable this spring because I was starting to question that offensive line a little bit after I went to the NFL Combine last week, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but I, I asked and other people on the beat asked a bunch of the Ohio State guys there about players who 
they thought were going to merge this year. And Tyreek Smith, without hesitation, said Josh Fryer is a guy to watch for on the offensive line. Thayer Munford really talked to him up as well. So I came out of that thinking, like, let's not count Josh Fryer out of this thing. Like, I, he, he might have a real chance to push for a starting job. And maybe he will if he comes back in the fall. But to me, I felt like those five that I named, I felt like those were going to be the front runners going into this spring regardless. I felt like the top two challengers were going to be Josh Fryer and Harry Miller. And for both of those guys to be unavailable for the entire spring, I think that's going to leave them with a lot of ground to make up going into fall camp. I mean, if we're being honest here, I have no idea what to expect from Harry Miller at this point, if we're even going to see him play another down at Ohio State, because he missed basically all of last season. Ryan Day was did not want to give up any information when he was asked about what's up with Harry Miller right now. And so I just think right now he's a guy that you just can't count on. At the moment, if he can come back and he can be that five-star player, awesome. But I think right now you kind of have to move forward with the expectation that he might not be available. And so I do think, I look at that starting five, and I think there's a lot of reason to feel good about that starting five. I mean, Luke Whippler and Dewan Jones, they had their ups and downs last year, but I think for the most part they played well in their first year as starters. And I think now that they've got that year under their belt, you'd expect bigger things in year two. I think Paris Johnson, I mean, I think he's a guy that has all Big Ten, if not all American potential at that left tackle spot. He's obviously unproven, but the guy was a top 10 overall recruit for a reason. I think moving out from guard to tackle is going to give him the potential to really become the player he's supposed to be. I mean, he had never been a guard before last year. So I think last year he played fine, but he was playing out of position. Now that he gets back to playing in his natural position, I think we're going to really get to see who Paris Johnson is. Matt Jones is a guy who played a lot of football last year. And so I think there's reason uh, to feel good about him stepping in, him finally getting that chance to be a full-time starter, which he probably was ready to be last year. They didn't have the spot for him in the starting five, but I think now that he gets that shot, he's earned that. And I think he's a guy they really trust. And then Donovan Jackson, I mean, just the way Kevin Wilson talked about him on Tuesday. I mean, he sure sounded like a guy who's going to be a starter this year. I mean, Kevin Wilson basically said that outside of Trent Williams, Donovan Jackson is as good an athlete as he's seen on the offensive line. And we've heard a lot of good things about him really since he came in last summer. And so I think that's your starting five unless something changes. I think the concern is who's the next man up. I think if Josh Fryers, maybe he's that that sixth man on the offensive line this year, but with him being out this spring, They've really got to find some other guys here in these 15 practices. Based on what Kevin Wilson said Tuesday, it sounds like two guys that are kind of making a move and putting themselves in position to be top backups are uh, Jacob James on the interior offensive line and Zen Mahalski at tackle. So those might be a couple guys to watch in terms of second team guys who could potentially be next man up on that line. But I do think that's a concern right now. I think you feel good about who they're going to have as starters, but I do think there's a concern right now of if you have injuries on the offensive line during the season, are your backups going to be good enough? I, I think that is one of the bigger question marks with the team right now. One thing that's not a big question mark for Ohio State, of course, is the play of C.J. Stroud coming off of last season. And I thought one thing that was interesting that a couple of other coaches talked about, Dan, was that they're going to give C.J. Stroud, put more on his plate this year, kind of open the playbook up a la... 
what happened with Justin Fields in his second year as a starter for Ohio State and Ryan Day saying that C.J. Stroud might not be great yet, but he's a guy that is on his way to being great. And I think a lot of Ohio State fans will be excited to see what exactly that means that, that if Ohio State actually does open up the playbook even more, given what they already show on a game-to-game basis, especially in that passing offense. Pretty great last year. I mean, he broke numerous single-season passing records last season, and so I'd say he was already pretty great, but certainly you do get that sense of, okay, now that we've had a year with him, you know, you think back to a year ago, he had never thrown a pass at Ohio State, so there was a ton of unknown there. Now, you know what he can do, so I think this spring for him, last spring for him was about just winning the starting job. This spring is going to be about enhancing his skill set, enhancing his understanding of the offense, installing more things into the offense, which I think they feel like they can do now because last year, nothing against CJ personally because they all talk very highly of CJ, his mental acuity and and how smart he is. But I think naturally when you have a quarterback with no experience whatsoever, you're probably going to simplify things a little bit just to try to make it easier on an inexperienced quarterback. But I think now the handcuffs are off. They don't have to do that. They can they feel like anything they want to install into this offense, CJ is going to be able to handle it. And so I think that's a great position for them to be in as an, an offensive coaching staff is you've got a proven quarterback now. You, you've got a proven running back in Travion Henderson. You've got a star wide receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigba. You still you know, need some other guys to step up at that receiver position, but there's certainly plenty of talent there. Uh, tight end is a question mark right now, but... You know, between an offensive line that at least in a starting unit looks really strong and then having three real skill position stars. I mean, you have three guys at quarterback, running back and wide receiver who all legitimately could be in the running to be the best guy in the country at their respective positions. So that's a great luxury to have as an offensive coaching staff. And certainly they are going to build this offense with the idea of maximizing the skill sets of C.J. Stroud, Travion Henderson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think a lot of people are going to be wondering how the defense looked in the first spring practice. And of course, you already mentioned that we didn't exactly get to see everything, all the new uh, wrinkles implemented and stuff. And, And I know Knowles also said that not everything is going to be implemented right now. Some stuff with some hybrid positions and stuff might come a little bit later in the offseason, not on the first day of spring practice. But one guy that we heard a lot about of from Knowles, who, who really glowed about this player, was Court Williams, of course, who came on strong at the end of last season, played, had a season-high snap count in the Rose Bowl, I think 47 snaps there. And I think a lot of people are wondering, can Ohio State have Court Williams and Ronnie Hickman on the field at the same time because those seem like two players that could be star playmakers for that Ohio State defense. But how is it going to look in the Jim Knowles system? Because as we saw at the end of last year, those two guys sometimes played for one another and not at the same time. Jim Knowles, though, says that he thinks both of them can play on the field at the same time and that this defense in general, although Knowles is a linebacker guy, is a very much a safety-driven defense. And we got to, to learn more about some of those safety positions in this Jim Knowles defense today. Yeah, Knowles seemed pretty adamant that Court Williams and Ronnie Hickman are are going to be on the field together if things go according to plan. That, you know, those two guys, I don't know if that's going to mean starting together, but, you know, some sort of package or whatever, it's going to get both those guys on the field together. And I mean, they talk about it every year. It's somewhat cliche, but it's also true that you got to get your best 11 on the field. And so I think there's a very good chance that both Ronnie Hickman and Court Williams are going to be both in that best 11. And so 
if that's the case, they do have to find a way to get both those guys on the field. And it does seem like, it seems like if you're looking for a guy to buy stock now in, it, it seems like Court Williams is one of those guys. It's, I mean, just from the way everybody talked about him so glowingly last year, you figured this time was going to come. But it seems like, especially since late last season, he had a really big game coming in against Michigan State. And then he played a lot in the Rose Bowl. And then today, you see him out at practice. You, you look at that first group of DBs that's out there. He's in that first group. And Bryson Shaw, who started almost all last season, was in the second group. Josh Proctor, still not a full participant in practice. So you'd still figure that Josh Proctor is a guy who's going to be in that starting mix when he gets back. But, you know, you, you do get the vibe that Ronnie Hickman, I think, is certainly a guy that's going to ha- play a major role in this defense. But they're not going to use that as a reason not to play Court Williams. They want to find a way to get both those guys on the field. And I think I think he's a guy with his skill set, not just as a coverage guy, but also in the run game of how big and physical he is. I think he's a guy that has the potential to do a lot of really good things for this defense if they can find the right way to utilize him. And I just mentioned that we, we haven't heard much more about the Leo position yet because Jim Knowles said that'll be something that kind of comes along later on, possibly. But one player we hadn't seen in a long time, Dan, because he's been injured, he missed all of last season, was Mitchell Melton, who obviously came in as a linebacker. But we actually saw him working out at defensive end on Tuesday with Larry Johnson and company. I mean, how do you think that they might use him going forward, a guy that we haven't seen a whole lot of on the field? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, like you said, he didn't play at all last year. And so I don't know that Mitchell Melton's a guy that they're necessarily counting on to play a substantial role this year. But the fact that he was with the defensive ends was interesting. I imagine some of that or a lot of that, honestly, probably just has a lot to do with the numbers right now because at defensive end, Tyler Friday is, remains unavailable after tearing his ACL last year. Zach Harrison was not going through drills when we were at practice today. Jacoby Cowan is also unavailable. They lost Cormonte Hamilton and Darian Henry Young to the transfer portal. So their numbers are a little down at defensive end right now. And so Mitchell Melton's a guy with his body type. I, I think that Leo position would be a natural fit for him as a guy who's kind of a bigger linebacker who can play up closer to the line of scrimmage. And so I imagine that is the role that he'll ultimately end up in. Do I see him as a starter this year? Probably not. I mean, I think it's probably one of those other defensive ends or or a Kate Stover who's probably more likely to play a major role at that Leo position. But I think it makes sense to have him kind of work in the defensive end and see what he can do there. Because obviously linebacker is a massive question mark for this defense, but they got a lot of bodies at linebacker. I mean, you go from Steel Chambers, Cody Simon, who's already back at practice after offseason shoulder surgery, Tommy Eichenberg, Taraja Mitchell, Paliye Nayateote, C.J. Hicks, Gabe Powers, Reed Carrico, and I think I'm even forgetting a couple guys. That's, you got Chip Trainum, who just came in. I mean, you, you, there's, they got a lot of bodies there at that linebacker position. And so Melton was one of those guys, like when I was doing my first depth chart projection for the year, I, I'm like, I don't know where to put him because they just, they have so many guys in that linebacker group and they're really only going to play two regular linebackers in this defense. And so I think cross training him at defensive end, seeing what he can do there, at least for this spring is a smart plan. Some other guys that we heard a lot of good things about on Tuesday, which should make some Buckeye fans happy. Jaden Ballard, of course, a wide receiver freshman last year. 
did not get the same level of attention as some of the other freshman wideouts for the Buckeyes. Didn't you know, maybe wasn't quite as game ready coming into the program. But he's a guy that we heard a lot about about in terms of putting on some weight in the weight room, things of that nature, and a guy that could you know really make some plays alongside a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba this season for the Buckeyes. Two guys on the other side of the ball as well. Jordan Hancock and J.K. Johnson for the Buckeyes, who we had already heard about starting even before the Rose Bowl in terms of two guys that had been described as dogs for the the Ohio State secondary at cornerback. Two guys that one of these two guys, or maybe both of them, I mean, are going to have to play some type of role for that uh, cornerback rotation. And especially if a guy like Cam Brown is still dealing with injury issues, we don't know everything that's going on with him right now, but he was not going through drills with the Buckeyes, with the cornerbacks at least on Tuesday. So those guys could as well, at least one of those guys, have a real impact on the secondary this year. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about it before. One thing that I always take note of and put stock in is when a coach brings up a player unprompted without being asked about him. Because so many of the quotes we get stem from a coach being asked specifically about a player. And they're usually going to praise the guys when you ask about them. So I always, that was why at, Tuesday's press conference, both questions I asked to Ryan Day were open-ended questions to really kind of see which players he would bring up when I asked him who impressed you in winter workouts and who who kind of stepped up as leaders. And he did. He, he went, when I asked him about who stepped up in winter workouts, he went right to t- those two guys. And we've heard that repeatedly. I mean, I talked to Denzel Burke a few weeks ago. He had really good things to say about those guys. Jim Knowles had really good things to say about those guys on Tuesday. Back in December, before the Rose Bowl, when we were talking to players, a lot of them had really good things to say about those guys. So, you know, I think those are two guys to watch at that cornerback position for sure, in terms of Denzel Burke and Cam Brown, they're the starters, but I think those two redshirt, or Jordan Hancock's technically a sophomore, but he didn't play that much last year. Those two second-year cornerbacks, Legend Cavazzo is going to be in that mix as well, but I, I think Hancock and Johnson are the two guys to really watch at that cornerback spot, that they could be the third and fourth guys, and I mean, you mentioned it, I mean, Cam Brown... I think he's a really good player, but he has had repeated injury issues. And so they might need one of those guys to really be ready to start at a moment's notice. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see you know, how much they end up playing this season. And, and Jaden Ballard as well. He was a guy that came up last week at the Combine. Chris Olave spoke very highly of him, saying that he thought once Jaden Ballard developed as a route runner, that he could be one of the best receivers in the country. He's a guy partially just because he plays at Maslin and wears number nine. I, I always think of Devin Smith with Jaden Boward. Like, I think there's a lot of comparison between uh, those two guys, and it'll be interesting to see if he can force his way into that wide receiver rotation this year because, you know, we, we know Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to He's going to be on the field pretty much every play. Uh, Mecca, Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr., Julian Fleming. Those are the other guys who get talked about the most. But it seems like Ballard's got a lot of momentum right now. Kevin Wilson also brought him up unprompted. And so it seems like he's got a lot of momentum right now to potentially earn a spot in that rotation this year. You mentioned that Jackson Smith and Jigbeck might be on the field for just about every play for the Buckeye offense, but he might be on the field for the punt coverage as well because he was still repping as that number one punt returner for Ohio State in the first period of practice that we actually saw on Tuesday. Behind him, of course, Cam Martinez as well. Julian Fleming got some looks as well. But Dan, do you think Ohio State should continue using Jackson Smith and Jigbeck? Because I know we've talked in the past about how Maybe a, a guy that's, he's already going to get a lot of touches. Do you need to kind of risk him there, despite of how good 
a, an open field playmaker he is with the ball. Why not just give a, another guy an opportunity there because Jackson Smith and Jig was already going to have such a feature role in the offense. Yeah, that's my feeling. I think if Cam Martinez does well of, over the course of a spring and summer in that role and you trust him to consistently field those punts clean, you like what you're seeing from him, I, I'd give him that chance. It gives him an opportunity to play a bigger role. And like I said, I mean, I mean, Jackson's a guy you're going to want on the field at all times on offense. And so... Even just to take a few plays off his plate, uh, I think would be a smart move there. So I think ultimately it's going to depend on, okay, they really trust Jackson. They know he's going to catch it clean every time. Do they have that same trust in Cam? But I think if they do, to me, it's a very logical move. I, I think you, you factor in risk-reward. I think that's a situation where the risk of playing Jackson on punt returns is, is outweighing the reward because we haven't seen them make many big plays in the punt return game for the last few years. I think Jackson's capable of it, but I just don't think it's something where you're getting enough big plays on a regular basis to where it's really worth risking him and taking him away from what he really does so well, which is playing wide receiver. And let's go through some more guys that we saw that maybe were or weren't at practice or were maybe geared up going through warmups, but standing on the sideline for Ohio State. Kneepats11 asked us the health status of a few guys. Mitchell Melton, we touched on. J.K. Johnson, he didn't appear to have any injury issues, Dan, that I could uh, ascertain. Tyler Friday, who, of course, missed all of last season after suffering a long-term injury, I think, last August. He was suited up, but on the sideline, uh, just walking around on the sideline with Zach Harrison as well was one of those guys. Josh Proctor went through warmups, but also stood on the sideline as well. We have seen in the past, I mean, obviously some of those guys are going through more legitimate, you know, maybe long-term injury recoveries. Sometimes though, on the, f the first day of spring practice, some of the veteran guys just don't have to do too much because they don't want to overload guys that played a, a ton of snaps just last season a few months ago. Yeah, we were told after practice that 10 players are unavailable for the entire spring for Ohio State. Those are Ryan Batch, Jacoby Cowan, Marcus Crowley, Jansen Dunn, Tyler Friday, Josh Fryer, Cade Kaczerski, Harry Miller, Lathan Ransom, and Mitch Rossi. So we won't see those guys at all this spring. It sounded like there's some other guys that they're kind of easing their way back in. And in a couple weeks after spring break, they might be back on the field more. So Josh Proctor is one of those guys. Not entirely sure about Zach Harrison, but, you know, seems like he wasn't on the unavailable list. So I bet we're going to see him back to practicing at a more full capacity at some point. Bennett Christian was another guy that Kevin Wilson named that he's coming off an ankle injury. But, you know, they're going to work him back in. I would assume Cam Brown's probably in a similar boat there. So, yeah, I think there's I think there's several guys who are in that boat of they could come back and, and practice more as the spring progresses. Obviously, you go through a spring, you're probably going to have a few guys who go the other way and get hurt. But right now, those 10 guys are the only ones who have been ruled out for the spring. Texas Buckeye wanted to know, Dan. Who will be the game one starters at every position on offense, defense, and special teams? Because he does not think that should be too difficult to ascertain from the first day of practice. So, Dan, you got all those, right? Yeah, no, not not quite. Uh, sorry to disappoint you, Texas Buckeye, though. I do get the impression that you were being sarcastic. But cannot tell you that I can name the entire starting lineup based off of three periods of practice that we saw. But like I said, I, mean, I do feel like I have a pretty good feel for the offensive line. I think offensively, to me, I feel like the big questions are, 
okay, wide receiver, who are the other two starters going to be alongside Jackson Smith and Jigba? And then tight end, that still remains a pretty big question mark. Defensively, you feel like they're going to rotate heavily regardless, but I I think still that probably Teron Vincent, Jerron Cage are probably going to get the first crack at defensive tackle. You know, Zach Harrison and, and probably JT Tuimolowal, maybe a Jack Sawyer. Those are probably going to be the top guys at that defensive end spot. You know, linebacker, who really knows because uh, they've got a new coach. I mean, I, I think Steel Chambers probably has the inside track for one of those starting spots, but yeah, I think that's still pretty wide open. Then, like I mentioned, I mean, Denzel Burke, Cam Brown, are they're, they're going to be the starting cornerbacks if, if they're healthy, I would think. If not, then Hancock and Johnson are going to be pushing there. At safety, I think Ronnie Hickman will be one of the starters. Then I think, it, depending on how things are configured, it's, my guess would still be the three starters are going to be Josh Proctor, Ronnie Hickman, and Tanner McAllister. But, you know, could Court Williams factor in there somewhere in that position? It's certainly possible. And we'll have only one more practice stand to actually watch before Ohio State goes on spring break, and that will be on Thursday. We'll get to talk to the wide receivers and running backs for the Buckeyes before they then go on spring break, come back, and practice again on March 22nd. Well, anyone you're particularly looking forward to talking to or seeing out there out of that group of receivers and running backs? Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping we're going to get to talk to Jaden Ballard based on everything we just said, the way people are talking about him. I actually don't think I've ever talked to him because I don't think he was available for interviews at all last year. So uh, I hope that we get the chance to talk to him. I mean, I'm also interested just to ask Jackson, like, how do you top last year? Because he already in his first year as a starter broke the single game receptions and receiving yards records and the single season receptions and receiving yards record. So how do you top that? Uh, I'm going to be interested in talking to him and kind of hearing what uh, his goals are for this year. I mean, I'm, I'm sure those goals start with winning a national championship and, and being an All-American, but I'm curious to kind of hear it from his perspective. And Dan, you just got back from another event uh, over the weekend, of course. You went to the NFL Scouting Combine where we saw a couple of Buckeyes put on some you know pretty remarkable performances there with some of their numbers. I know we talked you know last week about what they could potentially do, especially in, in Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave as the potential first round guys. And I think that they showed that they probably will end up going in that first round after all, wouldn't you say, Dan? Yeah, I think they did exactly what they needed to do at the combine to, you know, solidify themselves as first round picks, both running sub four four 40 yard dashes. Olave didn't quite run that four two six fit. He was unofficially credited with by NFL Network, his time was corrected to a 4.39, just one one-hundredth of a second behind Garrett Wilson. But that's plenty fast. To be a sub 4.4, that's considered to be elite speed for a wide receiver. Truthfully, I did not expect that Garrett Wilson would be a sub 4.4 guy. So for him to run 4.38, that's great for him. And I think uh, keeps him in, puts him firmly in that conversation for being the first wide receiver selected, probably a top 15 pick, if not a top 10 pick. And I think Olave's in that conversation as well as a guy who I think is a surefire first round pick, probably a top 20 pick. I had the chance to watch those guys go through their receiving drills inside Lucas Oil Stadium. And I thought Olave in particular just looked super clean, uh, super smooth. And, and Garrett Wilson had a, a good workout in there as well. And so I think both those guys did exactly what they needed to do at the Combine to ensure that they are both going to be first-round picks next month. And I know we had previously talked about how maybe some of the guys that were there besides those two might not have had Combine, the types of games that, that the Combine particularly highlights in terms of track speed and, and uh, you know, 
lifting numbers and things of that nature. So, so what did some other guys do, Dan, that were there that maybe didn't impress as much? Or, or what did you see from the rest of the field of Buckeyes in general? Yeah, I think the rest of the guys, I'm not going to necessarily say that they hurt themselves, but I'm not sure that any of the other guys really help themselves with their combine workouts. I, I had mentioned last week, like a Thayer Munford, he, he just wasn't a guy that I really thought the combine setting was going to really play up his strengths. And I don't think that it did just based on the numbers that he posted. I thought Nicholas petit Frere would do a little bit better than he did just in terms of testing. He's a guy that you think back to how highly tolerant he was coming out of high school and how athletic he looked in his career. I I was a little bit disappointed by his numbers, to be honest. Again, I don't think he necessarily hurt himself, but I, I talked about it last week. I felt like NPF was a guy who had the chance that if he could really go potentially light up the combine and then maybe he really solidifies himself as that second round pick, maybe even puts himself in that late first conversation that he didn't have that kind of workout. And so I think he's a guy that you're looking at that he's probably in that late second to third round range. That's probably where he was. And I think that's probably where he still is, though. I will say I've never heard anyone with a more positive attitude at the NFL scouting combine than Nicholas petit Frere, who called the combine the best week of his life. So the one thing I would say about NPF is I don't think his workout made him money, but I would bet his interviews probably did because the way he was talking to the media, if his interviews of teams were anything like that, I have a feeling that a lot of coaches came away very impressed. And you got to interview guys, of course, about some players that are still on the team and some other players, some non-Buckeyes, about some of the coaches, the new coaching hires for Ohio State as well. I know you talked to the Cincinnati defensive back, Sauce Gardner, and Kobe Bryant as well, uh, if he was actually there. As I say that, I'm, I'm not sure. But you asked them about Perry Eliano, of course, and asked the other Buckeyes about who is impressing them that will come up next season Dan, what did you get out of some of those conversations with some of those guys? Yeah, well, it's always interesting, you know, just like I said before, those unprompted comments. And so I always think it's interesting to ask the guys who just left the team and be in an open-ended question, who are the guys who you think are going to step up next year? Who are the guys that Ohio State fans should be watching for? And there were a few names that, that came up multiple times. One of those was Marvin Harrison Jr. Both Chris Olave and, and Garrett Wilson spoke very highly of him. I mean, nothing's changed right now that I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be the number two receiver on Ohio State this year. And I think he's a guy who's just carrying a ton of momentum into this spring. As I mentioned earlier, Josh Fryer was a name that came up. Unfortunately, he's sidelined right now. So he's not going to get that chance to really compete for a starting job this spring. But, you know, the way they talked about him, I mean, he's a guy that coaches have really talked up in his career. So I think he's a guy that we don't necessarily think of as an obvious candidate to be a future starter on that offensive line. But I think there's a very good chance that he is going to be a future starter on that offensive line just for the way that people talk about him. I think right now it's probably not going to be this year. I think there's a very good chance it will be next year if, if Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones are both in the 2023 NFL draft. And then we'll ask them who they think are going to be the next offensive tackles to step up in 2023. And then another name that came up from both Haskell Garrett and Tyreek Smith when they were asked about the defensive lineman, the first guy that both of them named was Teron Vincent. And he's a guy, I mean, I feel like we've been hearing that about Teron Vincent for like three or four years now that like he's the guy that's going to emerge. But, you know, they said if we saw what Teron did in practice, 
you'd understand why they talk so highly about him. Obviously, he's had some injury issues in his career, maybe held him back from playing up to his potential. But, you know, he did play well in the Rose Bowl to end the season. And so he's certainly a guy to watch going into this spring and, and this season. Fifth-year senior, can he finally play up to that ability? Because, I mean, he's a, five, he's a five-star recruit. He's a guy that's got a lot of ability. I don't think we've seen that kind of five-star play from him yet, but the way that Haskell and Tyreek talked about him made it sound like they think that potential is still there. And Dan, it also sounds like you talked to UCLA offensive lineman Sean Ryan about Justin Fry, who we got to see spending time with the Ohio State offensive line for the first time in a practice setting on Tuesday. What did you hear from him about what type of coach the Ohio State offensive line in 2022 is getting? Yeah, he had a big smile on his face when he heard the question about uh, Justin Fry. And he said, I love Coach Fry. And, and one of his quotes was, he's going to coach you hard, but you're going to learn to love him. Because you know, he said that Justin Fry is extremely honest. He'll tell you things that you don't always want to hear. But you come to realize that he always has your best interest at heart. And so that's just one man's opinion of him. But that's a man who's about to go play in the NFL and somebody who committed to Justin Fry as a recruit. So was able to speak about Justin Fry both as a as a recruiter and as a coach. And I'll probably write a little bit more about that at some point this week on 11 Warriors. But certainly it seemed like Sean Ryan had a very... A positive experience playing for Justin Fry. And then to go back to what you mentioned before, Perry Eliano, Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant, and Brian Cook, who are all at the Combine for Cincinnati, one of only two schools to have three DBs at the Combine, they all spoke very highly of Coach Eliano. Sauce Gardner, he said that, quote, he took us to a different level. And he said that the reason why he felt confident going into interviews with NFL teams last week was because of the conversations that he had with Coach Eliano. He said that Perry Eliano would make them draw up plays and not just what the cornerback was going to do, but that they had to know what everybody on the defense was doing. And if you look at the results, clearly that worked because Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant were both All-Americans last year. Kobe Bryant He's probably like a third-round pick in the draft, but he won the Jim Thorpe Award last year as college football's best defensive back. And coming out of a combine, all the buzz I'm hearing is that Sauce Gardner is going to be the number one cornerback drafted and is probably going to be a top-ten pick. So uh, that speaks to Perry Eliano's ability to develop cornerbacks and to enable them to play at their best. So I think everything that I heard about Perry Eliano from those guys at the Combine is exactly what Ohio State fans should want to hear about the Buckeyes' new safeties coach. But as we saw at practice on Tuesday, both Perry Eliano and Tim Walton, they, they were switching groups. They were both working with both the cornerbacks and the safeties. And so even though he might not technically still be the cornerbacks coach, I think he's still going to have an influence on what Ohio State's cornerbacks do and vice versa. Tim Walton is going to have an influence on what the safeties do, even though his focus is primarily on cornerbacks. Minbuck would like to know, Dan, having visited the combine, do you think the impact it has on players draft stock is warranted? Because as we know, scouts put a lot of emphasis on that. How would you personally weigh combine performance slash measurables with, you know, the interviews and actual on-field performance and tape from what they've done at the college level? Yeah, I, I think it's hard to quantify how much of an impact it really does have. I mean, I think if I'm being completely honest, like I think a lot of it with the combine, it's become such a media event and it's become such, it's become such a spectacle that I think 
maybe it doesn't have as much impact as people might think it does because I think it gets hyped up so much. I think by and large, I, I think scouts are still primarily looking at on-field performance. And I think the part of the combine, that's, if you break the combine up into three parts, the third most important part is the actual 40 times in the drills they do on the field. The two more important parts are the medical evaluations, which is that's why the combine was started in the first place was so that all the players could go through the medical process. So they have a central uh, place to do medical exams for all the players. So that's still right at the top of the list. And then those interviews with NFL teams. I mean, that that is something that absolutely matters is those guys having the opportunity to go and and meet face-to-face -face with different NFL teams. And those things certainly have an influence on who teams draft. And so I think both of those aspects of a combine are undeniably important. I, I think the drills, I, I think they're useful in the sense that they're a means of comparison. They give you, they give you an ability to put all the guys in the same setting and compare them against each other. Because it's hard, I mean, for, for example, just a name that comes to mind for me, like Trevor Penning, the offensive tackle from Northern Iowa, who a lot of people are talking about as a first round pick, maybe even a top 10, top 15 pick. It's, it's a little bit difficult to compare his tape to say Nicholas Petit Frere's tape, because Nicholas Petit Frere is going against much more talent on a weekly basis than the offensive tackle at Northern Iowa is. And so I think that's where a lot of the value in the combine comes in is you can watch all these guys in the same setting, in a controlled setting, and you can compare them against each other. You can see them both in person at the same time and, and kind of compare guys against each other. So I think it's useful in that sense in terms of if there's multiple players at a position that are similarly graded on your board, I think in that case, a better combine workout could potentially put one guy over the top. But I think as a scout, if you are solely basing your draft picks off of how well guys do at the combine, then you're probably not a very good scout because ultimately you've got to go back to what the guy can do on the field. And ultimately that tape, the actual football of a guy played is the best thing you can look at to evaluate how well a guy can play not how well he runs through some drills and shorts. Well, Danny, you were just in Indianapolis, of course, for the combine. Garrick and I will be headed there just on Thursday, which we go to Indianapolis quite a lot in this job. We'll be headed back there again for the Big Ten tournament, of course. Ohio State will be the number six seed. They're playing around nine o'clock on Thursday night against the winner of Minnesota and Penn State. But for a while, it seemed like Ohio State could have been bumped up a couple more seeds, Dan. But they, they ended up not having the best end to the regular season, of course, losing three of their final four games in that stretch to end up not securing that double bye, having to play on Thursday after all, and having a little bit longer road to the potential Big Ten championship game. But it, they certainly don't look like a team that's on the verge of making such a deep run right now, given what, uh, what you know went, went down, especially in the final game against Michigan. Before that, it was a couple of upset losses to Maryland and Nebraska. They briefly bounced back with an impressive performance against Michigan State. But in that game, a, a huge game from Joey Brunk, a big game from Jamari Wheeler. It did kind of seem like how sustainable were some of those performances. And then against Michigan, we didn't see quite the same level of offensive production from some of those guys. 
and Ohio State ends up going one and three in their final four. Well, we were overdue for a trip to Indy, right? Because typically we get to go every December for the Big Ten that championship true, game. But Michigan finally got to go this year, so uh, we didn't get to go for that. Maybe in the future we'll get to go for college football playoff games. Not to bring up a sore topic, but uh, <laughs> to get back to the, the point of basketball, I mean, it, it's certainly the last couple of weeks have not gone great for this team. And, uh, and I know that some people probably think that we have been maybe too complimentary of Chris Holtman on the show. And so I, I would say that it's very valid to be concerned about the team at this point. I think to me, I, I felt like until the last couple of weeks, I really felt like, you know, the team was having a really good season. Like, yeah, they lose some games that happens in college basketball. But, you know, I do think the way that regular season ended, I mean, even just the way Chris Holtman has talked about some of those losses after the games, like you can tell he's concerned. He's not happy with the way things are going. So I, I do think this last stretch to end the regular season, the last two weeks of the regular season, are the worst Ohio State has played all year, other than that Michigan State game. And, and that's certainly not what you want going into the postseason. Now, again, last year, Ohio State had lost four straight games going into the Big Ten tournament, and they came close to winning the whole thing. They took Illinois to overtime in the final. And so it, it, it's everybody's 0-0 now. Like it, it's a postseason. It's an it's a new chapter. Just because Ohio State struggled the last couple of weeks doesn't mean that they can't all of a sudden get hot in March. I think the the big concern right now with this team, among multiple concerns, is this team's not healthy right now. I mean we obviously are just as suing in Seth Towns. They've been out all year, but you know, Kyle Young has missed the last, what, three games or two and a half games with concussion protocol. Zed Key is still battling an ankle injury. Michi Johnson turned his ankle in the Michigan game. Sounds like Michi's going to be okay. Sounds like Zed will probably be okay. Hopefully they can get Kyle Young back this week. But, you know, you have those injuries adding up. And so I think that's a big concern going in to to this week and then it's like they just kind of got to get their mojo back like i mean this is a team that they still in ej liddell and malachi branham i think you have a combo of two players that give you a chance to win every game but again i think it kind of goes back to what we've talked about a lot of the year is the supporting cast good enough for this team to make a run in march and i think when you have three key guys in that supporting cast who are all battling injuries, it becomes tougher for that supporting cast to be good enough to carry this team to where it wants to get to. Well, you talk about all those injuries and fatigue has been a factor in some of those upset losses, at least according to people like Chris Holtman and EJ Liddell and whatnot. And I've seen a lot of fans asking me on Twitter, why not Ohio State just... What's the point of even making a deep Big Ten tournament run at this point when you know you have the NCAA tournament right after that? We saw just last year what happened, which was Ohio State really beat itself up playing those really big teams with big men like Hunter Dickinson, of course, Travion Williams for Purdue, Kofi Coburn as well. They played all of those guys, had to bang down low with a, you know very physical Big Ten teams. And the, the toll that it took on the team was very evident when they played Oral Roberts in the first round of the NCAA tournament, ended up getting bounced in that game and really squandered what was, up to that point, a, a really good season for Ohio State, possibly Chris Holman's best season with Ohio State to date up until that first-round NCAA loss. So it's like, if you need all that rest with the current group that you have right now, might it be better just to have an unceremonious exit from the Big Ten tournament for the sake of getting a little more rest for March Madness? Yeah, I, I think they need to win at least one game. They're going to start out 
in the second round playing against either Minnesota or Penn State. They went a combined 4-0 and against those teams during the regular season. So that's a game they really should win. And I think you definitely want to get at least that first win just to get some momentum back going in the right direction. Certainly, you look at the quarterfinal matchup. If they beat Penn State or Minnesota, then the Buckeyes will play Purdue. That's a tough matchup. Ohio State's going to be the underdog in that game. Again, they played Purdue in the quarterfinals last year, and, and they managed to beat them last year. And so it's certainly not out of a question that Ohio State can go to Indy and, and beat Purdue. I think I think the, the thing that makes it more challenging when you look at it this year is Zach Eadie's a lot better than he was last year, and you don't know if you're going to have a healthy Zed Key and Kyle Young. So I think if they're still banged up there at that center position, it's going to be really tough to stop Zach Eadie and Purdue. And so logic tells me I think this team wins one game in Indy, and I think they lose to Purdue on Friday in the quarterfinals. And I think that would be just fine for this team. I, I think I think there probably would be some benefit to not playing on Saturday and Sunday in getting six or seven days to rest before you play that first NCAA tournament game. Because I know I know there's probably some people out there who are concerned that Ohio State's going to miss the NCAA tournament. That's not going to happen. Ohio State, they're saw, even with the three losses in four games, even if they lose to Minnesota or Penn State, Ohio State's going to make the NCAA tournament. Now, this week certainly could have an impact on where they're seated. If you look at the projections right now, most of the projections have Ohio State as either a six or seven seed. My feeling is it depends on what happens this week. I think, I think you know, if, if they could beat Purdue, then I think they're probably going to be at least a six seed. If they can get to the semifinals, they're probably at least a six. If they win one game, lose to Purdue, I'd probably say they're a seven. If they lose to Minnesota or Penn State, maybe they fall to an eight. But I, I think I kind of... I kind of look at like seven is probably like, that's probably my prediction right now is they're probably a seven, but I, I think they could easily be a six, especially if they can make a run in a Big Ten tournament. Even if they win just one game, I think they've still got a shot at that six. But I, I think that six, seven seed line is probably what you're looking at right now. I think so too. But of course, last year, again, as we already talked about, that deep run for Ohio State helped them get all the way to a number two seed, which was their first time in, in eight years. I don't think that it'll even be possible for them to ascend that high this season with the way they've kind of closed off things here. But I think, yeah, I think you're looking at a six or seven seed for sure. And probably just because we know how good Purdue is and we know how those teams have matched up before with some very close games, but I would probably favor Purdue in that one. Just seeing how the teams have been trending recently, of course, I would probably peg Ohio State as a seven seed as things stand right now. But of course, there's plenty to, uh, is subject to change here in the next few days. Got a few more minutes here on the show. I, I feel like uh, one team we got to give some love to is the Ohio State women's hockey team because Ohio State women's hockey, they won the WCHA title on Sunday, beating Minnesota, who was the number one ranked team as a country. And as a result, Ohio State is going is now the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament. Ohio State will play in the quarterfinals of uh, the NCAA tournament on Saturday at the OSU ice rink. They'll play the winner of a first-round game between Syracuse and Quinnipiac, and that's a team that has had its best season ever. They've already broken the program record, wins in a season, now won their second conference title, and the way they're playing, they look like 
a, a very real contender to potentially win their first ever national championship. So we will see what happens there in the postseason with that team. But Nadine Mazaral has done a fantastic job since she took over that program. Really turned around a program that it had it had some issues in the programming. They had their last couple coaches before her. Both of their tenures ended in controversial ways. And so she had a lot of work to do and she took over that program. And she has built Ohio State women's hockey into one of the best programs in the country. And so credit to her putting the program in this position. They are having a fantastic season. And Sophie Jakes in particular, their, their defenseman, she has a very good chance to win the award for National Player of the Year. I believe... She's either leading the country in points or she's very close to it as a defenseman, which is almost unheard of. She's just had an absolutely phenomenal season for them. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they're able to do over the next couple of weeks if they can make a, a, a run at a national championship because they've been playing at a really high level and, and are certainly one of and, and probably right now the, the best team on Ohio State's campus. Yeah, Dan, I got to cover that team when I was, uh, what, a junior in college, I believe, for a semester, and I loved getting a chance to, to cover that team and talk to Nadine Muzzerall a lot about how she turned that program around. I think Sophie Jakes is maybe a freshman when I was covering the team. So it's you know kind of cool to see how her blossom into a superstar for that team. Of course, in 2020, they had an amazing run as well, but it got cut short and their chance at a championship was taken from them because of COVID, as a lot of college athletes happened to a lot of them that year. But now it's kind of nice to see that the team have another shot at that as Nadine Muzzerall and company continue to prove that program is on the up and up, especially beating Minnesota. That was Nadine Muzzerall's alma mater, of course, and a huge powerhouse when it comes to, to women's hockey. So congratulations to that team. We did have one other question this week from OSU Sam 77 and he said, I would like to have a more in-depth understanding of how NIL is actually being used to recruit players, including at Texas A&M in parentheses, he said, and where it is likely to go in the future. That's a loaded question, and I wish I had like a great answer to that because I mean, I can't honestly tell you that I'm an expert on how NIL is being used in recruiting. I mean, I think there's stuff happening that's not supposed to be happening. I, I think the big question right now for a lot of this is like what's legal and what's not, and I still don't think like anybody's quite sure in terms of how that's working. So I think one thing we, that we are seeing is we're seeing a lot of donors coming in, and they are essentially promising recruits, if you choose this school, we're going to give you this NIL deal. And it's all kind of operating in a gray area right now of whether that's allowed or whether that's not. And we'll see if the NCAA tries to regulate it more. But the big thing is the coaches are technically are not supposed to be involved in arranging NIL deals for athletes. But we are seeing at a school like Ohio State, which for the most part to this point, Ohio State's been very like, NIL cannot be used for recruiting. We don't want to get involved in it. And they've, they've taken a very conservative approach early on to NIL in terms of we need to have a compliance team that looks over everything. We've got to make sure everything's within the rules. They kind of sent out a big, long document of all these different restrictions for athletes. And, and they've tried to be very careful uh, to not get on the wrong side of the law with the NCAA. But we've seen here in the past few weeks, Gene Smith talked about it a few weeks ago. They created an NIL edge team. He was open about the fact that Ohio State has been behind in the space of NIL in terms of how it could be used in recruiting. But he said that he kind of, he 
almost contradicted himself in a way of saying, we don't want to use it to recruit. We're not supposed to be involved in it, but we can't allow ourselves to get behind whatever schools are doing. And so I think Ohio State is constantly evaluating, okay, how can we get more involved in helping our athletes get NIL deals to make sure that we remain at, you know, the quote, top of a pyramid, as Gene Smith always likes to say, in terms of Ohio State being a destination where athletes can come and and make the most NIL money. And one thing that we actually noticed yesterday, or Monday, I should say, was that Ohio State actually just posted a job for a director of NIL. They're going to hire someone to you know, basically be full-time in terms of working with athletes on NIL, which is not something Ohio State has had in the department. And so I think that's a step right there that Ohio State's taken to say, we got to keep up with the times here. We we have to do more, even though, at least as of a couple months ago, Ohio State led the country in total NIL deals and in total money made by its athletes. They still recognize we got to do more. We have to make sure that we're doing everything we can to try to help our athletes in this NIL space. And so I think until either NCAA legislation or federal legislation comes in and puts more regulations on NIL, it's going to be kind of, again, as Gene Smith is quoted as saying, the Wild West in terms of different things that are happening with boosters and donors, collectives and whatnot. And, you know, you guys can argue amongst yourself about whether that's good or bad for college sports. I'm not necessarily going to get into that right now, but I think the reality is these things are happening at some schools. They're happening more publicly and obviously than others. And I think it's still kind of hard to legislate what's within NCAA rules and what isn't. But the reality is that as long as things remain as unregulated as they are now, I think for schools to continue to recruit at an elite level, there's going to have to be NIL opportunities there for athletes. And I think Ohio State's in a good spot with that because I think being in Columbus, the brand of Ohio State sports, if you're an Ohio State football player, most likely NIL opportunities are going to come your way. And so I think Ohio State's in a good spot with that, but I think at least as of yet, we haven't seen as much of an obvious blatant effort by Ohio State or by people loosely affiliated with Ohio State in terms of trying to use NIL deals to funnel players to Ohio State. With some of the collectives that are springing up, that might change, but I think there are some different schools like Texas A&M and, and Tennessee and Texas. There are some more obvious efforts taking place right now to use NIL as a recruiting tool than maybe we've seen around Ohio State so far. Dan, you said you weren't an, an expert on that topic, but I think you did quite a good job of, of uh, eloquating that. There I tried. Waxing poetic on the topic, if you will. I tried. Well, anything else that... Well, people need to hear from I guess you? we should say that we should throw in there that Ryan Peden, uh, Chris Holman's longest tenured uh, assistant coach, will be leaving af- at the conclusion of the season. We had heard even after Ohio State beat Illinois, Chris Holman was talking about the fact that Ryan Peden had actually turned down several good head coaching offers in recent years, but didn't think he'd probably be able to hold on to him that much longer. That hunch was correct for Chris Holman because Ryan Peden, of course, just on Friday 
accepted the job at, at Illinois State, which Chris Holman has said multiple times now that is a great job, a great mid-major job in the uh, Missouri uh, Valley Conference. And uh, I, th- I believe Ryan Peden was announced there just the other day and the, the, their arena there, the, the Redbirds. So Ohio State will, will soon have to be making moves to, to replace Ryan Peden on the sideline. He was the offensive coordinator for Ohio State the last few years. And of course, the, the offense for Ohio State, especially the last two years, has really been keeping the team afloat because they've had top 15 offenses, I believe, for the past two or three seasons, while the defense has kind of you know trickled down there a little bit. I know uh, Jake Diebler will now take over some of those responsibilities, especially on offense, but they will probably bring somebody else in, of course, as well to replace Peden on the sideline. Yeah, I think we knew it was only a matter of time before Ryan Peden got his chance to be a head coach. So congratulations to him. Certainly somebody who has been a a right-hand man for Chris Holtman ever since he got here and even uh, dating back to his time at Butler. So certainly I think a deserved opportunity for Ryan Peden and we'll look forward to see what he does there. And I think an interesting opportunity here for Ohio State because I do think you have to look at the defensive play over the last couple of years and kind of like with Ohio State, it's like, do they need better defensive coaching? And so I think the way Chris Holtman talked about it on the radio, it does sound like they're going to move Jake Diebler to take over Ryan Peden's responsibilities, and that's going to open the door for them to bring in a defensive-minded coach. And so I think that's absolutely where this search should be focused is bringing in somebody who can help Ohio State play better on the defensive end because we saw them do that better a few years ago. And I don't know if Terry Johnson leaving, Mike Schrage leaving, I don't know if that had anything to do with the step back they've taken on defense for the last couple of years. But certainly I think that should be an emphasis and a new hire here is bringing in somebody who can help the Buckeyes shore up some of the deficiencies they've had on the defensive end. Yeah, I know Chris Holman on Sunday was saying that maybe not enough emphasis was placed on defense in the roster build the last few years. And so maybe look for that to be a point of emphasis moving forward as well for the Buckeyes. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Thank you all for listening in. Next week, we'll come back. We'll preview the NCAA tournament as that will be coming up next week and talk about the latest things we've learned on the spring football front as well. So thanks for joining us once again this week, and we'll talk to you again next week.